0: You don't have to be quiet, Sean. The whole idea is just to get them in a seat. What time does the seven o'clock meeting start? Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock, so thank you very much, Sean. Welcome to Position of Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. As with every meeting of Position of Neutrality, we open with a prayer, and Chaplain Lee's in the house. Come on and stand to your feet all over the room. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again today. We welcome you in this place. We give you the praise, glory, and honor for allowing us to see a day that was not promised. But God, we just want to thank you for just another opportunity to gather together in unity. And we come to hear from you, Lord. Speak through your man servant. Let your spirit be made known at this place. We know we can't do nothing without you. We know you can do all things but fail. He said in your word that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all, that we can ask or think, but it's according to the power that worketh in us. Speaking about that power, God, we know where it lies, and it's down on the inside of us. So we thank you and we praise, we give you all the glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, let us all say (laughs) amen. Thank you, chap. So, who's here at Position in Neutrality for the first time? Anybody? Woo! Very good. Very good. So first of all, welcome. And second, let us warn you in advance, you're liable to perceive us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. And the primary reason that's liable to happen is that we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years. We take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week, directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery, why? Because it works. Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book's been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances, yes? yes? So what we do here is simply try and help people see how to find their own experience in the book. And I do that by showing you how I find my experience in the book. And I'll encourage you to have your experience with the book. And if we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. How many of you have been here before and can witness for folks that happens? So those of you online, you can't see it because of the anonymous nature of our fellowships, but they're raising their hand. They're raising their hand, signifying that in 12-step recovery, when we speak of a spiritual experience, we're talking about a sensory experience. You will feel it. And when you do, I'll know, and I'll call it to your attention, because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God. Power! Power! without giving you a demonstration of the power. Those of you who are new, never been here before, we're a little quirky. We don't want anyone confused. So when I say God, they say, Power! Power. Right? Throughout the night, don't get disturbed. Every time I say God, they're going to say, Power! And they shout loud enough to be heard in Kingman and Douglas. Who's here from Kingman or Douglas? Safford? Florence? Nobody. I don't have any members in here. I would say Red Rock, but none of you'll admit to coming from there. All right. So tonight we're going to take a look at step 12. Oh, hey! One thing, Denise called my attention this morning. This is a, this is a probably one and only time that you will see me present position of neutrality on leap year. The last, the last time leaf year happened was in, on Thursday was in 1996, and we weren't doing it then. And the next time it will happen is 2052, and some youngster is going to have to come to it by then. How's that? So tonight we're in step 12. We're in chapter 7 for those of you following along in a book. And again, we encourage you to look in your book if you want to. If you don't, that's fine. But because we're trying to show you how to read the testimony of the first 100, And I want to make sure you know I'm not making it up. I'm going to try and show you how I find the experience and encourage you to look at it and see through your lens and have your own experience with it. Does that make sense? And if you don't have a book, it's not a rule. Don't trip. But just so you know, some people come here with their books and they follow along because it's... That's the whole idea. No one can read this book till someone shows them how. We've been handing it out for decades, and no one can read it. Someone has to show us how. That's why they say in the foreword, to show others precisely how we recovered is the main purpose of the book. Right. OK. So chapter 7, working with others. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Promise and condition, maybe more than one. What's the promise? Other conditions will fail. Sean always does that to us, doesn't he? He says other activities will fail. Mm -hmm. It's promised. Didn't say if, said when. Mm -hmm. What other activities? Going to meetings, calling your sponsor, reading a book. All the suggestions we might hear other than entering this manner of living and prosecuting it vigorously, Mm -hmm. right? And they also gave us some other promises that are not so dire. Intensive work with others is insurance. Right. So if you really want to ensure that you don't revert to your old ways of thinking, this new manner of living, where you find out, find somebody and pour into them, lift them up, Mm -hmm. according to them, it it ensures immunity. Make sense? All right. So then it says, this is our 12th suggestion. Now, the 12th suggestion, couldn't possibly be, I want immunity, so I'm going to do this. That's the selfish reason I might do it. Right. Yes. There's going to be a selfless suggestion, which is going to be the, the, the suggestion, the 12th suggestion right. will be selfless. Does that make sense? Yep. And then it says, carry this message to other alcoholics, exclamation mark. Why do you think they added the exclamation mark? It's important. It's important. Well, because it's an action word. How does one carry a message? You've got to walk it out, don't you? It ain't about what I say, it's about what I do and how what you catch me doing. And does it align? Yes? How many of you took advice from people who were doing clearly the opposite? All right, so it says you can help when no one else can. How does that make you feel? How many of you felt like you lived your life and just threw it away at some point? How would you like to know, not think, know that every bit of that prepared you to avert suffering for thousands? Who felt that? Some of you felt it. Yeah, that's the power we call God. That happens in you, right? That's That's the power of revelation, the power of inspiration. It's tangible, it's sensory. So you can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember they're very ill. Then they got some more promises for us. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. We know you'll not want to miss it. Notice the words they used. They tell us we're going to see a fellowship grow up around us, but then they don't describe it as a sight, they describe it as an experience. Right. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? How many of you have learned that we have a new way of seeing, a new way of hearing, mm-hmm. right? That vital sixth sense. Yes? Yep. <clears throat> interesting, isn't it? They're very intentional with these words, and they're describing that sensory experience many of you are having right here, right now. Yep. That's what I'm awakening to, that power within that, chat prayed in the room. On t- on purpose, <laughs> okay. We know you'll not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Amen. You ever notice the people who seem to do better and better and better are the ones you always see with their hand out. They're not not necessarily clicked up. They're watching the new guy and pouring him a half a cup of coffee instead of a full cup of coffee because you know when you're new you can't handle a full cup. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they had to give me like a thimble full. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Perhaps you're not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. Think that's true in Phoenix, Arizona today? No, no we're all fentanyl. <laughs> We might be. For our purposes, we don't segregate based on chemical. My addiction is to a little substance called more. More is my drug of choice. You can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. They'll be only too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or reformer. What's that look like? Hallelujah, brother. He will eat Do what I do, you'll be saved. What's the reformer look like? <laughs> you ever heard somebody that just stop smoking, telling you about all the evils of smoking? (laughs) You ever heard anyone's just stop drinking, telling you about all the evils of drinking? While you're not trying to stop drinking? (laughs) That's the reformer. See, my problem was not religion or alcohol. Those were problematic, but that wasn't my main problem. I I recoiled from religion and alcohol. I still had a problem. Anyone else? So it says, unfortunately, a lot of prejudice exists. You'll be handicapped if you arouse it. The reason I don't want to do that as a servant is I'm not here to drive you off or win arguments. I'm here to win friends and lift you up. And I have to find a way to do that in an offensive way. Mm -hmm. Ministers and doctors are competent, and you can learn much from them if you wish, but it happens that because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. Now, notice how they put those words in. It's not my drinking experience that's necessarily uniquely useful. If I'm properly armed with the facts about myself, I can win their confidence in a few hours because I can talk to them about the experience they're having as one who's been there. I can also demonstrate a very different experience as one who's not there. Does that make sense? So it's not about the circumstance. It's not what it was like. It's what I was like, what happened and what I'm clearly like now. Does it make sense? Yeah. So cooperate, never criticize, to be helpful is our only aim. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. How do we do that? What's our tendency sometimes? Talk at them. A lot of times we want to talk. We assume we know what it is they want, don't we? Or we assume we can save them from what it is they're in the middle of. How many of you have discovered that we are not in the saving business? We just work for the one who is. We're simply witnesses. So if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. You may spoil a later opportunity. How many of you in your active drinking or addiction had someone try and persuade you to stop? Did you find it ineffective? Maybe it would have been a little annoying, right? I really don't have a problem with my heroin use. I have a problem with your attitude about my heroin use. (laughs) or alcohol use, or cocaine use. or. All right, so, so if I do that to them, they're gonna think all recovery people are like that. And we don't want that to happen because my freedom comes in being an instrument of their freedom, mm-hmm. yeah. yes? Yeah. So this advice is given for his family also. They should be patient realizing they're dealing with a sick person. I'm going to jump from there just because we tend to meet them in meetings rather than some of this instruction, and y'all can dig deep another evening. Not on leap year. we got a schedule to keep. <laughs> so I'm going to go over to page 91. In the middle of that page, it says, See your man alone if possible. How many of you have been blessed with the spiritual awakening as a result of the steps and endeavors now to work with others? Good, a bunch of you. You guys look at all those hands that were up. Mm -hmm. You'll be raising your hands soon, too, if you want to get well. It's not a rule. It's just a suggestion that we get well because we convert our musty past into a useful experience for another. And in so doing, we receive the healing we don't even know we need. Right. Um, So how do you guys see your person alone? Get in the car. (laughs) <laughs> Sean kidnaps him, been doing it for years. How about the rest of you? Any of you go to the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting? Talk to him a little bit. You know why they do a meeting before the meeting and a meeting after the meeting? Guys like Jim and Jim and Paul and Sean and myself and a lot of us here, I could, can't name you all, Jeff. The reason. Is because someone told us one time during the meeting we tell you what we want you to think we are, but before the meeting and after the meeting we'll tell you who we really are. That's right. <laughs> True. True. So at first engage in general conversation. What's that look like? Is this your first meeting? Call? Yeah, it might be that. Your first time here. I hadn't seen you before. You're new to the area. What are they likely to hear if they walk into one of our recovery meetings? you got a sponsor yet. <laughs> any of you ever, on, when you're on traveling and you, you just wander into an odd meeting and you, no one knows you and all of a sudden you get a whole bunch of instruction on what you need to do next? Yeah, right. They don't know nothing about you. Yeah. So they're suggesting we not be that as, I mean, judgment in any way, even in a helpful way. I can't help someone I'm judging. I've already decided what they need. And I'm not the one who knows what they need. Right. <laughs> All right, so after a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. Mm-hmm. Drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences, what's that look like? Any of you everyday drinkers? Yeah. Yeah. How many of you were periodic? How many of you would go months and then go off the rails? So we can't speak out of our depth of experience. My drinking habits might have been different than yours. That doesn't make me, because it's all about what happens once I take the drink. If I don't drink but every three years, but I go out and commit crime, (laughs) then my life's going to be segmented in sort of decades, right? (laughs) So if he wishes to talk, let him do so. You'll thus get a better idea how you ought to proceed. We're encouraging them to compare notes. What do you think happens at the meeting, after the meeting, the meeting before the meeting? Yeah, we swap lies and encourage them to speak of themselves. You ever notice how the next liar always has a little bit bigger tail than the first liar? Because that's the nature of us liars. We're not trying to lie. We just want to make sure you know we qualify. If he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. Why not? I have have no idea. Do you agree with him? Does it make sense? Any of you know how your cessation was accomplished? No. No. I mean, I hear people talk about it and pontificate about it, but I don't know about you, but I drank and used every day no matter what. They locked me up, chained me down, Kept me in a coma for seven days, one time. As mm-hmm. Soon as I got up again, once they rehabilitated me, I did it again. Yeah. And then one day, pow, that never happened again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am not qualified to tell you how that happened, am I? No. No. I'm getting more and more qualified every day to tell you who did it. And, and, and that's, that's what my job is. Woo. Some of you felt that. Yeah. Shall we say God? Yeah. If He's in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. And have you had trouble with liquor or other chemicals? Then you should be a fair expert on the troubles they caused you, yes? Yeah? Do you know what they mean about not moralizing or lecture? Have you ever been the new guy and somebody starts describing themselves in disparaging terms and you only heard the disparaging terms and we're internalizing it? That's why. We, we'll sometimes try and deflect because we want to show that we're humble, but that's not humble. In my worst and in my best, I was a child of the living God. I didn't know it then. I didn't know it then. But I know it now, and I know that I was valuable then because here I am. Does that make sense? So I don't want them to hear anything but the truth. and the truth is, I see you as God sees you. My son, I haven't told this story in a long time. My son had some trouble, and he got out of penitentiary just for a and then he was strung out on heroin again before he went back for a longer stretch. But in that time, I could see he was struggling and he was in his room detoxing and I had a pastor friend of me that I needed to talk to him, not father to son, but I needed to speak to him as heavenly father to son as I need to get centered in the spirit. So give me a minute. So I went in and I said to him, I said, Joey, you're not a junkie and you're not a convict. You're a child of the living God and I will stay with you and I will walk with you till you know it and show it. And that man got up and went and did his time. But three and a half years into that sentence, Denise and I went and watched him get his two degrees while he was on the Safford Complex. So because we're in service to this power, we speak life. That's what I'm telling you. Not not a theory that's... Facts from my experience. And he's out now, and he's got four kids at home, and he's going to work every day, and they called him Angry Joe on the inside, and he's angrier now than he ever was in there. (laughs) But he's doing all right. All right. So when you see you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were and how you finally learned that you were sick. So how many of you had an addiction for alcoholism, an alcohol addiction and can describe to somebody how baffled you were, how many of you learned that you were sick, how many of you are still learning that you're sick? That yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we come to believe, right? And we come to believe it's an illness before we come to believe we need a healer, that's why we've got a come to believe step, yes? let says, give him an account of the struggles you made to stop and show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. What's that for you? How many of you had some clean time and then just went off the rails? So what was the twist that led to that for you? Yeah, it, 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 as many people in this room, it can be different things. But, I mean, they talk about people later we will get into their stories, but... How many of you have just gone back to your regular job and everyone at work had a tough week and they just decided they were going to go out, hey, man, it's been a rough week. We're going to go out have a few drinks, just let off a little steam. You ever had a rough week too? I want to go let off a little steam. Any of you ever thought like that? You ever ask yourself, why can't I go let off a little steam? That's what happens to me. That happened to you too. <coughs> yeah. The reason I can't do it, and they can, is because they go home, and I go live under a bush. That's why. Oleander. I got a really good starter. I got a terrible stopper. All right, so, and it's individual. See, the idea of being properly armed with the facts about yourself, if you want to be fact- effective. It's got to be true for you, right? Yep. All right, so we suggest you do this, as we've done on the chapter on alcoholism. So they're going to take us back to some of those mental twists. And then it says if he's alcoholic, he'll understand you at once. He'll match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. So they knew that back then. So how many of you have read the chapter on alcoholism? There's a story in there about Jim, the car guy. you ever he, he didn't even drink at all until later in life. He owned a dealership. He decided he had a fondness for alcohol. He drank his way out right out of that dealership. Ended up having to go to work for the dealership he once owned. And they describe in his story, on his way to work, he was a little agitated. (laughs) Any of you ever had to go to a diminished job because of whatever, and then on the way there, felt a little agitated? That's what happened to Jim. When he got there, he had a few words with the boss. Nothing serious. (laughs) On a Tuesday. (laughs) After these words with the boss, he gets this idea. You know, I believe I ought to just go out in the woods looking for people who buy cars. Although he's at the dealership where people come to buy cars. I know everyone's waiting for me to get to the diner, but he wasn't thinking diner. He was thinking customer. And there wasn't a customer there, and his boss was, so he decided to go out in the woods where people who don't come to car dealerships to buy cars apparently hang out. <laughs> the guys are looking at me like I got two heads. How many of you went went over to the trap house to show the fellas how good you were doing. Uh, and You you get it, it's not that different. So anyway, he's driving out to these woods and he sees a roadside place where he'd eaten many times. He believed he'd stop and have a sandwich and a glass of milk. So he has a sandwich and a glass of milk, and then he gets this bright idea, you know, if I ordered a shot of whiskey, And I ordered another sandwich and glass of milk. That shot could not hurt me on a full stomach. And he went ahead and ordered that shot of whiskey. And the experiment went so well that he had another. And then another. And then they recount another trip to the asylum. Any of you relate to him now? Your intention was never to drink yourself to homelessness, incarceration, joblessness. No? Talking to the wrong crowd. Sometimes I wander into the wrong room. You never know. <laughs> they talk about Fred. Fred was not that bad yet. Thank you for sharing your information with me, you alcoholic types. I appreciate you trying to avert suffering for me in advance, but clearly I am not like you. Any of you ever been not like them drunks? Not like them druggies. So everything went well for Fred for a while, but he was on a business trip, and he strolled into this tavern and thought a few highballs would be good because everything was going great in his life, and he came to three days later in a cab. Any of you ever get started with no intention of Really doing anything but letting off a little steam, and then ended up in another state. They used to happen to me frequently. I'd have to check. that. Then they gave you hotel keys. I'd look to see, where in the hell did I land? Anyway. So they talk about a jaywalker. They said compare that to your alcoholism. How many of you had a few scrapes, but it was funny? Then you had some more serious scrapes. Then you had devastating scrapes. So they say, swap your experience with a jaywalker and just dash in front of cars. Oh, okay, I broke my arm. I learned my lesson. Two days later, he gets his hip broke. Anybody relate to any of these stories? Well, I just told you, if he's alcoholic, he'll understand you at once. He'll match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. That was intentional. I was fishing. If you're relating to me and matching mental inconsistencies with your own, you should read deeper because this might be you. I don't know that. that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. What's the hopeless feature of the malady? Yeah, in simplest terms, abstinence is not going to work for the likes of you, Joe. I know it looks like abstinence, but I don't live in abstinence. I never have lived in abstinence well. Does that make sense? I have to do something different. I have to get my ease and comfort in the world without going out in the world to get it. I have to tap into that power within. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. All of us have the story that we know we're not going to pick up no matter what or whatever and then all of a sudden find ourselves in a different situation, yes? Don't at this stage refer to this book unless he's seen it and wishes to discuss it and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. Why is that important? It's so important that we understand that, because we all want to tell people who and what they are. And the only thing we want them to do is discover who and what they are. Right. We're going to restore your identity to you, if you'll follow the manner of living. But it's going to be about who you are and whose you are, not to what drug you use. Right. Does that make sense? And it doesn't matter my opinion of your condition. I had lots of paid trained medical professionals give me their opinion of my condition. I lied to them to get their opinion, and then I ignored the results of said opinion. Any of you ever know that if you talk to the doctor right, you can get a bottle full of pills that make it tolerable? So if he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him possibly he can if he's not too alcoholic. See guys, we're not leaving anybody hanging. We need them to convince us. They need me to show me they have desperation. Otherwise, the process is too painful. I have no right to bring you through a process of sanctification when you're perfectly satisfied out there in your inebriated state. Makes sense? You're not going to follow through anyway. But insist that if he's severely afflicted, there may be a little chance he can recover by himself. Why do I know that? Because I've seen what you're going through, my brother, and I can tell you all about what I went through to the extent that it's in the police reports and the medical reports. But I can assure you, wherever you are, it isn't any worse than where many of us have been. And there's a a better way if you're ready to follow me and let me show it to you. Yeah? I am not the way, but I know the way. All right, so continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. How many of you know that we can speak to that with certainty? Any of you take this out a little ways? Look at who I'm talking to. I know a lot of people that are incarcerated, they don't use while they're inside, they don't necessarily internalize, but we want people not to go revisit that experience because they're not fully armed with the facts about themselves. If every time you got arrested you were high, we should examine that. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. So what are these conditions of body and mind? Yeah, a mental obsession that won't let me stop obsessing. And a physical craving. Once I put it in my body, all bets are off how much I'm going to do. Right? They, They say the idea that he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drink. And if you've got any history, you know, I can control or I can enjoy. But they're mutually exclusive. I can't do both. Yes? And remember, the main problem centers in the mind. Why do I need to learn to get my ease and comfort from within? Why do I need to be in this disciplined manner of living? Because once the alcohol is gone, the idea that he will control and enjoy his thinking is the great obsession of every abnormal thinker. So I need a manner of living so I don't start having all those abnormal thoughts that land me in problems. Does that make sense? Or at least I learn to arrest those thoughts and submit them to the power within. All right, so keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Any recovery room is full of people who know that. I don't know how many we've watched here at New Freedom in our history that have left us and died in their addiction. But there, there's no glory in that death, guys. And, and we desperately want to help them. We don't want anyone else to do it, but I can speak to you clearly. Please, before you go, let's analyze your thinking, because what's out there is deadly. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it'll serve some good purpose, but you may talk to them about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. I can talk to you of hopelessness because I can point you to my hope. The solution is not steps, it's not a meeting. It's not a host of friends. The solution is the power down on the inside of you. And if we awaken you to that power, the superior nature of the experience you'll walk in will make you reject the alcohol and drugs the same way you rejected food when you were drinking because you didn't want to wreck the buzz. That's a fact. A room full of my peeps, I can tell. You'll soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, the traits of an alcoholic. So what are the traits of an alcoholic? Lots of of excuses, sometimes bewilderment. Why do you do that? I don't know. Yes, you do. How many of you had to cough up a lie because they wouldn't take the truth? If his own doctor is willing to tell him he's alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he's become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question, if he will. I need him to ask once he discovers he's talking to someone who knows something about the experience he's having. We have to reach them with depth and weight. And then it tells me. In italics, so it's important, tell them exactly what happened to you. I drank and drugged every day, no matter what. I had multiple addictions going at the same time. I drank myself into the hospital. I drank myself homeless. I drank myself into jails. And then one day, while in a detox, a man walked in. And he started sharing a story about his path to Texas prison and how he had watched his father testify against him because he had been such a damaging force on their house. And that he stood there and watched his father cry as he put him in prison, knowing that was the only way he could save his life. And I heard that man talk to me in a way that was so resonant. I knew that he knew how I felt about me. And I said to him, before he left that night, if you'll tell me what you have been showing me, I know I'll never be the same. Would you be willing to talk to me? And I was used to people shunning me. I'd been living homeless, so people don't really talk to you much. And he said something that surprised me. He said, absolutely, it would be my honor. He said, why don't you call me when you get out? I thought okay I think they're gonna let me out eventually. (laughs) He started walking across the room he got about halfway across the room he turned around and he goes on second thought you ain't looking very good you better call me before you get out. (laughs) And he was right because I was already figuring what that looked like. Anyway that man called him he met me the very next day even that morning I was thinking about breaking the atomizer top off a bottle of cologne and drinking that before he came. And then I realized how dumb that would be for a drinker like me because that wouldn't be enough and I would smell funny and everything. (laughs) And I wouldn't know what to do with the bottle anyway. But that's the man who presented after I had been introduced to the man, the guy that was going to drink the cologne but had one sane thought and did not. He took me through the steps in that day, took me through one, two, three, four, five, At the end of the five fifth step instructions, he said, says that you need to go be quiet for an hour. He says, i got to go take my girl to lunch. You call me in exactly an hour. If you don't, I'll assume you're not going to call me anymore. If you do, I'll come back and we'll get, get you going again. I was afraid I'd miss him, so I sat and stared at the clock most of the time. I was supposed to be thinking. But I called him in exactly an hour, and he came back, and we sorted out this list that I had created. He said, tell me. Did you tell me everything? I said, no, I coughed up that one little thing. And we got a flow of the spirit. He felt it. I didn't. I was too dead in the spirit. But all of a sudden, things started happening. I started coming alive, and that man looked at me, and he said, how you feeling? And I said, I don't feel safe. And he said, well, if you don't feel safe, you are not safe. That means action is required of you said, what what are you prepared to go make approaches about right now? And we got a list together, and I started making 9-step approaches that night on the phone and in person. And it wasn't long before I knew what it meant to feel safe. It was a very unsafe place to be with me, especially if you were me. And all of a sudden, that wasn't true anymore. I didn't have that going on. Anyway. That guy started going down, that's why Sean's here all the time. Sean was running a meeting at the homeless shelter. I was, <laughs> you know, anyway, so I wandered in there, couldn't hold a cup. But I had been through my ninth step, and it was time to get busy growing in prayer and meditation and start serving, and I started serving that week. And we worked at a state agency together, and I will tell you, there used to be six or seven shopping carts outside the office building, The director would come in and, what in the world's going on, I'd have a whole conference table full of people experiencing homelessness taking them through the steps. I'm not bragging to you, I'm telling you what it took for me. And I'm telling you that the process, I got through it in a day to where I was serving and I never stopped serving and I lived in all kinds of homeless and deplorable states in sobriety through decades. But one day God entrusted me with this. And he he gave us the vision. He said, make a home for my homeless ones. And so to this day when you walk in here, what do you hear? Welcome home. Because that's the order of God. Whether you believe in him or not, he sent us here. All of us. Tracy, chap. All right. So. That's exactly what happened to me. Stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic. He does not have to agree with your conception of God. None of you have to believe as I believe. Walk with me. I'll show you why I believe what I believe, and you make your own decision. Does that make sense? He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. So if you don't want to get well and you want to say something silly, that's on you. We have precise instructions of where and how this power is found does that make sense yep. so it's never going to be external because that's not going to help you it's got to be that power within because that power within renews your mind does it make sense as long as i start living in a way counter to the world and start living selflessly instead of selfishly my mind is renewed through this power that's what happens not a religion, a relationship. I still think like Joe. I just act more like him. Sometimes. And even he kicked over tables. So the main thing is that he'd be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. If you're not willing to do any of those things, then you're just not ready for AA or 12-step recovery. No judgment on you. If I don't. Remember, I come to believe in an illness first. If I don't think heroin's a power greater than me, what the hell, I would waste invaluable high time. Go get it done. Slam dope like a gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah. But if I am willing to trade that in on the hope that I can be redeemed, we have a manner of living that works. That's what the whole book's about. That's right. When dealing with such a person, you'd better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. I've endeavored to do that tonight and I've also for my more religious friends I've laced it with enough scriptural evidence because we forget half the original fellowship where religious people die in an addiction, the other half where atheists or agnostics and we talk to one, we don't talk to the other. Chap and I are working on a product, we're talking about the same power. So we want people to understand what's up, right? Don't, don't just because of language, because I'm speaking in Alcoholics Anonymous, and you're speaking in something else, you don't come see what you need, does it make sense? Alright, so, so you know what, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump from there to 94, outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal, sort of walked, walked you through that in my own experience, but you know how I made a self-appraisal, I had, a, had to do an inventory, anyone else do one of those? Okay. How you straightened out your past, told you about how I had to go out and start making approaches for amends right away. Do you understand that all of this, all of you, everything you see me do every day is still me making amends? Mm -hmm. See 12 is the big amends, 9 is the fitness step. That's what, if if you don't keep going, you're not going to get the healing that you need so that you can get free. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. So, and while you're now endeavoring to be helpful to him, it's important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part in your own recovery. I just explained to you why for me, yes? Actually, he may be helping you more than you are helping him. I can assure you, every man or woman who's ever allowed me to pour into them has helped me more than I've helped them. That's fact. Make it plain that he's under no obligation to you. That you hope only that he will try and help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Why do we hope that for you? Because we want you to be free. Want you to be free. You'll never get the freedom you need. You'll never make sense of the life you've lived until you use that experience to help another. Yep, yep. Not a rule. It's just a fact suggests how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Guys, they're suggesting it may be strenuous at times, that I may have to really subordinate my ego in order to place the welfare of others ahead of my own. But if I'll do that, I'll gain freedom more than I imagined, and if I don't do that, I'm liable to slip back into bondage. So. Make it clear that he's not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to, and then they speak directly to us. You should not be offended if he wants to call it off, for he's helped you more than you helped him. So they're not supposing anymore, they're telling you on the other end that no doubt, even if you don't want to work with me anymore, you honor me that you allowed me to pour into you. Right. If your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you perhaps made a friend, Maybe you've disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. Some of us think there's no question of alcoholism in this modern age, but there's a massive question. A lot of people still think it's choice and they teach it's choice. But if I'm an addict of the hopeless variety, I've lost the power of choice. And if I don't know that, I don't know the nature of the illness I have. Then I go die in my addiction and my self-condemnation. If you really are an alcoholic like me, And you think picking up is a choice, then get up on the roof, jump off halfway down and say, I choose to hit the ground. (laughs) You may get comforted by the fact that you're in control, but you didn't change the outcome. Why do you think they call it the insanity of the first drink? I was insane before I took it. Everything that happened after that's the kind of stuff that happens to a guy like me once we had alcohol Mm -hmm. or whatever. I was never, again, more. So this is all to the good, the more hopeless he feels, the better he'll be more likely to follow your suggestions. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the program. How many of you have had someone you worked with had reasons not to follow at all? And remember, the program's in the book. It's not all the suggestions you hear in the fellowship. Just, am I gonna follow this, am I gonna, Make a list, find out what I was like, what happened, what I'm like now, and then endeavor to make amends for harms done for the purpose of subordinating my ego to my spirit and strengthening my spirit. So even though I'm still Joe, I'll be able to summon power to act better than Joe. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfect. So he may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. How many of you have rebelled at that? All of us, if we're honest. Yeah? Do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you'd made much progress had you not taken action. Guys, they're talking about effective 12-stepping. If I just talk to them about what great things are going on in my life, they just think I'm perfect and I'm not like them. But if I tell you who I really am and how I really think, and then they wait a minute, but you're here helping me. What's up? What's the catch? Well, the catch is... I'm empowered in the spirit to treat you better than I sometimes think. And as a result, I'm empowered to walk in that power more of the time, and I'm liberated from many of the worldly things that used to ensnare me. True? Yes. So it says, on your first visit, tell them about the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. See, they were very careful then not to confuse people with program and fellowship. We're going to tell you about our fellowship, come to our meetings, we'll show you some loving people, we'll help support you through your recovery. The program's in the book, the fellowship's in the rooms. They may not be doing program in the rooms. Don't fall in that trap. If you need this stuff, it ain't the rooms you need. It's that power within that this process reveals to us. And I'll say the same thing to about churches, because I go meet them in the churches, dying in the churches. They believe in the power, but they ain't in relationships sufficient to overcome addiction. Watch it all the time. All right, so if he shows interest, lend him a copy of this book. Oh, that's interesting, Joe. Where'd you read about that? Well, here. And then the reason I hand him a copy of the book is to show them you don't have to do it on your own. Because they get the book, they don't have a, still don't have a clue what it says. They're, because we're reading about an experience we're walking in. Someone here described to me what it tastes like to drink Coke. It's an experience, you can't. Mm-hmm. Tell me what a rose smells like. It's an, it's an experience, you can't. What's it like to walk free in the world, Joe? It's an experience, you can't, but I can show you does it make sense? Yes. Okay. And we can share it. How many of you are sharing some of that experience here tonight? Yep. When we talk about sharing, that's what we're talking about. Sharing the power. All right. Unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. Give him a chance to think it over. If you do stay, let him steer the conversation in any direction he likes. Sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once, and you may be tempted to let him do so. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he's likely to say you rushed him. We tend to do a lot of that in our treatment models. We, we don't, don't give them the whole deal. We make it a requirement, and we, we rush them through it. They don't get the benefit. We've got to keep you engaged. We're, we know the science of it. We're building a product to do it. We need to keep you engaged for at least 27 weeks, and your efficacy goes from 5% to 70%. Did you know that? So we don't want to hate them out of our rooms. We want to engage them and let them be who they are for 27 weeks. And if we do that, their odds just went up 65%. Facts. Okay. some of you felt that too. All right, so so I'm going to jump from there to 97. because I'm going to run out of time if I don't go through this. They just went through on another page about working with others and offering to do things for them and all kinds of things that we sometimes do. And it's sometimes a mistake to do too much for people because we need them to come to rely on the power within themselves and not on humans because that can fail. Yeah? Right. So there, on 97 it says, Never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you're doing the right thing if you assume them. How, do I, how am I sure now that I'm walking in this manner of living? You feel it. Yeah, i gotta, I got to take it inward. It's not a, it's not a gathering of opinions. Nope. It's about getting confirmation in the spirit. Right? Yep. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Mm-hmm. How many of you want a recovery without stone in the foundation? Doesn't make any sense. No one would want that, right? right. So why would I want to help others? Because mm-hmm. I want stone in the foundation. Yep. Yes? Yes? A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. Why are they telling us that? Because we've all tried easier, softer ways. How many of you? Well, I, I did that once. I went and helped clean up after the meeting. Not, I do, it's just mistakes. We don't encourage. I don't want you stuck. I know you don't think you're adequate. None of us do when we get here. But it isn't you they're going to experience we're going to introduce you to who you are and whose you are and once you walk in that he goes before you and makes the introduction it'll be all right A kindly act once in a while isn't enough you have to act the good samaritan every day if need be any of you know that story Mm -hmm. we gotta we gotta offer help we gotta lift them up Mm -hmm. we don't have to do more than prayers and concerns Gonna we'll have to lick them up. Lift them up. Lick them up. <laughs> Bandage them up, take them to the end, pay the rent. Yep. Alright, so it may mean the loss of many nights' sleep. Yep. Great interference with your pleasures. Yep, yep. Interruptions to your business. Yep. It may mean sharing your money in your home. Yep. Counseling frantic wives and relatives. Yep. Innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Yep. Your wife may sometimes say she is neglected. Don't have one of those anymore. Uh, <laughs> me Funny how that works. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. Yep. yep. You may have to fight with him if he's violent. Yeah. Sometimes you'll have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. Yep. Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally, you'll have to meet such conditions. How many of you had all those things happen to you in your addiction, police courts, asylums? So when I tell you, we're prepping through the step process to go do the big amends. I need to go be that nameless fellow who came in and talked to me when I was too dead in the spirit to even know who I was talking to. But they spoke life into me because at some point, I was able to receive it. I don't know who any of them were in all those police courts, jails, and asylums, but I know they can't. It says occasionally you'll have to meet such conditions. I was told these were the 12-step promises. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, they're your job description, now that you're in this new manner of living. We seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for long at a time. It's not good for him. And it sometimes creates serious complications in the family. So we're not supposed to imposition other people dependent on us simply because of our desire. We we sometimes misread what our job really is. Yeah? Yeah. I'm gonna jump from there because I'm not gonna get into the family stuff. I wanna to go to 98, because those of you here last week, we talked about it's time to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And I said, Come back next week, we'll tell you what we're growing in understanding and effectiveness at. Yes? Yeah. So they're going to tell us on page 98 it's not the matter of giving that's in question, but when and how to give. Right. So I'm going to grow in understanding and effectiveness of when and how to give. Mm-hmm. And you'll learn from other books we give to everyone who asks of us, but not necessarily what they ask. True. Does that make sense? So that often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. How many of you have had that thought? I've heard it a million times. I can't do it. No, nonsense. Because I had to come back when none of my material needs were cared for. And that's how I learned that I don't need another human to do that. I appreciate all of them that did. But what I need, no matter how good or bad it is, is that power on the inside to carry me through it. So it says nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job. Wife or no wife. We simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. Guys, people are going to disappoint us and not intentionally. People are going to be human. And if all of my recovery is based on another human, I am going to fail. And you're going to find when you enter the workforce, people are going to come do things differently than you do them. And if you allow yourself to think the same power that restored you is not still in charge, you will suffer needlessly because you're in disagreement with what is any of you ever found yourself there why do I want to stay awake why do I want to focus on other people's needs because it's better for me and then by extension better for anyone who encounters me all right so burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone that's what I just tried to do many of you felt that Burning con- into the consciousness means your awareness of being aware somewhere in your spirit, you were aware that truth was coming at you or rising in you. Yes? The only condition is that he trust in God Power. and clean house. That's where we're going to stop. Thank you very much.